Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard, coming to you from Fayetteville, Arkansas. I was thinking about this earlier. This is uh, the last time we had a road show was uh, Easter weekend a year ago when I was in Columbus, Ohio, preparing to uh, to cover the Mississippi State-Notre Dame National Championship game. That was an exciting weekend. Uh, so it, it necessitated, you know, a, a, a road effort, you know, and so... Uh, with the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, I, I wanted to bring the headset. I want to thank uh, our good friend Barry and Ledger from Twitter for the reminder to bring the headset. I did think of you, sir, when I put the headset in the car yesterday. And I have met Barry and Ledger, but I have been sworn to secrecy. I will not divulge his true identity. You must love him for the internet troll that he is because he regularly gives our friend Chris Brooks absolute uncharted hell on Twitter. He is a fun, fun follow. 
So maybe we could check him out. Is in the infancy of Twitter, we had the follow Fridays. You know what I mean? When you would like give people a shout out, try to get followers, and hopes they would give you a shout out to get followers. So if if I'm gonna have a uh, you know a shout out today, a follow Friday, it'd be Barry and Ledger. Go check them out on uh, on social media. So uh, I want to thank you guys too, and, and thank our our fine sponsors, Campus Bookmark, longtime sponsors of the Boneyard. So happy to be with them. Uh, I was in there last weekend. Uh, saw Stan the man, uh, saw the lovely and talented Susie, the heart and soul of the operation. Go in, uh, speak to her, flirt with her, be nice to her, whatever. And let her know you heard about it on the show. Uh, she's a wonderful lady. Uh, went in, got some uh, some merch for uh, for my son and his wife. And uh, it's one of those things, too, when, when you go in there, you, you begin to realize all the things you don't have. If you know what I mean. Like You, you think, okay, I've got a pretty good idea of what's available in Mississippi State Fashions. Until you walk in there and you think, wow, I've got some catching up to do. So we encourage you to go by and do that. And if you can't make it to town, go by campusbookmart.net and uh, shop on the web. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a promo code. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. So Mississippi State lost a baseball game last night, and uh, kind of a typical game one type deal where you've got two aces kind of matching each other. Ethan Small was outstanding. Isaiah Campbell was outstanding. But I really felt like Mississippi State missed a golden opportunity in the first inning. As you guys are aware, uh, Jake Mankum, very much a free swinger. Jake comes out, gets that hit, very first pitch of the ball game, and you just kind of felt like, okay, maybe we've got something going right out of the gate here. Uh, Jake's hit, career hit, 346, which now puts him six behind Eddie Furness for the career hits lead in the Southeastern Conference all time, and then seven away from breaking the record. And, and I don't know if you know this, but if, if memory serves me correct, and I'm pretty sure it, it does, this is now, I think, six consecutive games that uh, Jake has had just the one hit. And so, yeah, he's extended the streak to 19 games, hasn't had a multi-hit game in a while, need to get one tonight for sure. Uh, but so Jake gets on, which puts uh, Jordy Westbrook up there and um, hitting against the stretch. And Westbrook strikes out looking on an inside pitch. And, and I say this not to be critical, but it's to make an observation. There appears to be something in his field of vision that, uh, that has created this issue with him because it has consistently been a problem throughout the year. And again, not to be critical, just kind of making a, a commentary here. But there's some inside fastballs. There's something about the inside heat that he thinks is a little bit off the plate. Now, sometimes it is. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and defend the officials. Um, but more times than not, I have seen him take an inside fastball that is on the plate. And it's a little bit in, but for some reason he takes it. In that situation there in a 2-2 count, you know, he takes that inside pitch and and – it's, it goes back to Little League Baseball in many respects. And, again, I don't want anybody to think I'm being overcritical of Westy because we're gonna, he's been a great player for us. He's going to be a great player for us. But the bottom line is when you're hitting two-hole, you got to be able to put that ball in play. But on a two-strike approach, I, I can't take a ball that's probably a half ball or even a ball off the plate. You know, I, I, anything that close, especially when you've got a guy like Tony Walsh behind the plate, there's no way you can afford to take that pitch. No matter the situation, and that's one of the things you hear, like, well, you know, I don't know if you can take it, you know, that that, that tight. When you've got a guy up there that's got a history of having a wide strike zone, you've got to be able to, to make that adjustment. 
And then shortly thereafter, Mangum is picked off first. Now, Jake has not been a guy that, uh, get, that's been loose and fast on the base pass. Jake's a guy that's very competitive and generally finds a way to come on around. But we have, uh, we have had some issues this year getting picked off at first, more so than I remember uh, in recent years. And I, and I don't know if it's, a, if, it's, if it's a staffing issue or whatever, but the bottom line is that's happening with greater regularity than it should. And so we squandered the hit, and now next thing you know, we're down you know, two outs, and then Tanner Allen comes up and, and singles through the right side there. And uh, that's, you know, you never know what the pitch sequence is going to look like if everybody's still on base. But you get two out, two hits in the first inning, and you don't have anything to show for it, and you squander a guy, and then you get a guy out in, uh, in a pickoff situation. I know Jake was asking for a review. He was clearly out on a play. And you might could have argued that perhaps uh, you know, maybe there was a balk there. I, I didn't see enough of the replay, but uh, Jake not happy with the call. But you just kind of felt like after that, after the mid-first that we had uh, kind of let them off the hook a little bit. Because both of those base hits were solid hits. And uh, you barreled it up and made some good contact. And uh, you know, even Magnum's ground ball to short. You know, he hit that ball with some authority, just happened to hit it right at the guy. Uh, but be that as it may, we get out of that first inning with nothing to show for two hits. And then Ethan Small goes to work. And uh, outstanding effort by Ethan. Really felt like he had some of the better stuff he's had this year. Goes up there, uh, gets a pair of ground outs, and then, uh, and then gets the K. And then that kind of becomes a consistent theme there. You know, he uh, he began to get that high, that elevated fastball tantalizingly close, just enough to get them to swing at it. Uh, but, uh, again, in and out of that first inning, just felt like that it was no big deal. Uh, I think it was a nine-pitch inning, and th- that'll play. That's been one of the issues with Ethan this year is that he hasn't especially been efficient at times, and so he runs pitch count up and uh, has to leave the ball game, you know, in six or seven innings. But uh, that really wasn't the case last night. I thought he, he thought he had good stuff. I thought he challenged hitters and kind of forced him to put the ball in, con- in play. He was pitching the contact, and um, that was working for him. Sadly, the offense just couldn't seem to put piece things together. You go get in a second inning, you got to pop up the second, strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging. Arkansas comes back out, fly out to Jake, strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging. You know, and it kind of was shaping up to be a big – pitcher's duel. It was going to probably be about who made the first big mistake. Uh, you get into the third inning, uh, Hatcher strikes out swinging, Halter strikes out looking, Mangum grounds out to, to, to second base. Uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll share this with you. When State has been playing exceptionally well, they have been able to get some production from the bottom third of that order. In games that we struggle, and that's going to be with elite pitching. There's a reason those guys are hitting eight and nine in the order. And again, I'm not being overly critical. It's just a baseball conversation here. But you, when you're able to get production on that bottom third, and you can't depend on that, but when you're able to get that, you've got a really good opportunity, of course, to win a ball game. Uh, really felt like last night that that, that simply wasn't there uh, for the most part for Mississippi State. Uh, you know, and then again, the Ethan Small train continues. It strikes out the side in the third. And then in the fourth, you know, State has an opportunity. Tanner Allen comes in again and gets a base hit. And that was an interesting observation at the time that all the Mississippi State hits were off left-handers uh, against Campbell. And um, there, there's a reason, you know, you load the, the lineup 
with op- opposite hand guys. I mean, that's, that's one of the things you do. But it, it, it appeared that State was starting to get some quality ABs, just not much to show for it. And then finally, finally, in the top of the fifth, Rowdy Jordan homers to right field. The very first home run of the year hit off Isaiah Campbell. And, I, and I'll tell you, when that happened, the way these two guys were pitching, it felt like three runs. I mean, it, I mean, it, it did. I mean, it's one of those things you think, okay, well, yeah, they're one pitch away. But as good as Ethan had been, you just kind of had a feeling, you know what, we might be able to win this ball game one nothing, two to one. You know, th- this might not be one of those ball games. It requires a lot of late inning heroics because Ethan's pitch count was low. I think he was around 58, 59 pitches uh, after the fifth inning. Uh, they finally get a hit. Arkansas leads off the bottom of the fifth with a single and just kind of eases by a halter over there uh, at third. And then you strand him. You get a strikeout looking, you get a foul out, and you get a fly out. And so the one nothing lead is safe. The no-hitter in a perfect game is over after five, but you begin to start thinking in your head and start counting outs and think, okay, as good as Ethan has been and the way this pitch count is set up, he, he might be able to go seven, eight innings. But that's not what happened. You know, State comes out uh, top of the order in the sixth, ground out to short, strikeout swinging, and, uh, again, that, that Westberg had a tough night last night, really, really did. That strikeout swing and that ball is well off the plate. And then Allen flies out to center field. And then the decisive inning came, and that's the bottom of six. And there really was nothing that made you think, okay, well, Ethan's losing it. It wasn't even top of the order. You get up there with the, – this is – we talked about this earlier. When you get production bottom third of your order in these tight you know, game one ball games, you're going to win – and what happens is Ethan Small, Small walks the eight-hole hitter uh, on a full count. I did think the pitch got the corner. They ruled it inside. I did think, it, you know, I'm not calling the ball game, but I thought it was a borderline pitch. And I, I think the way that guy had played and the way Ethan had pitched, the way that he was hitting his spots, you'd think in that situation you'd probably get benefited out. You don't. Then the nine-hole hitter comes up, and this is a guy that cannot hit the fastball. And what does he do? He lines the ball back up the middle. And – it's one of those things in baseball, one of those truisms in life, too. When you've got guys that aren't ordinarily big offensive contributors and all of a sudden they begin the table set for the top of the order, it just seems like bad things are going to happen. And lo and behold, they did. Uh, Ezel comes up, grounds out to third on the sack bunt, and uh, everybody in the ballpark knew it was going to be a sack bunt, so you take the out. Now you've got runners at second and third for, for two and three coming up. Casey Martin doubled to left center. Absolutely no chance to get that ball. One of those just kind of laced in between two outfielders. Those Both of those runs score. And then you think, okay, if we can just kind of hold it in place here. But it just felt like the momentum had so clearly shifted and the dam had finally burst because Small had been just absolutely dominant. And they finally are able to barrel up a couple of balls and you begin to think, okay, well, now what's happening? The crowd gets behind them, and the next thing you know, Goodhart has singled back up the middle. Another run scores, and it's 3-1, and it really felt like more. In that inning, even though we were only down two runs, it just felt like that we were in trouble. I mean, it really felt like that was – even though you think, okay, we've got three innings left, it felt like, for many respects, the game was over. Uh, and, and maybe it's because of the fact that we're on the road and there's nobody there to really kind of cheer for us. But the bottom line is that was a huge inning for them, and it really felt like that um, 
things were changing in a, in a negative way for Mississippi State. Rather than answering, we come right back out in the top of seven. We get a fly out to right field, and McNamee struck that ball pretty well. Foskey strikes out looking. He did not have a big night at the plate. Rarity Jordan strikes out looking. Did not like the call. I didn't like it either. And then I saw the replays today. People were sending me screen grabs, and I like it even less today. It's a one-two pitch, breaking ball away, and it's basically in the other batter's box. And uh, they ring him up. And that's one of those things that we kind of dealt with all night. And I know there's some people on Twitter that think that there is every um, – there is a conspiracy to get Mississippi State. And I'll tell you, I thought Ethan Small got the benefit of that wide strike zone early in the ballgame, too. I, I thought that the strike zone was equally big for everybody. And that was one of the things, you know, Ethan Small's in the middle of pitching a, a perfect game, and people are trying to suggest to me on social media that he's getting squeezed. I didn't think that at all. I thought Ethan Small had good stuff, and I thought he elevated a couple of fastballs in that sixth inning. Didn't get him all the way up. I just think he elevated a couple of pitches in Arkansas, made a good adjustment, as Coach Lamona said, uh, and made him pay. Uh, you know, Raleigh Self comes in in the uh, in the seventh, and uh, really thought Raleigh pitched well for the most part, uh, especially in that seventh inning. He gets the line out to third, really kind of a soft liner, and gets a ground out to second, and then. Um, you know, Franklin gets a single, and then uh, we Dustin Skelton threw this guy out. It was the guy next to me, stats broadcast guy for uh, Arkansas. He goes, hey, Franklin's fixing to try to steal. He said, with the leadoff hitter up there, they'll take a chance here and try to get him in a scoring position. He goes, I don't know if he can make it, but uh, but he's going to go. And then when Dustin Skelton popped up, I almost felt sorry for this kid because there was no way he was going to make it. It was um, – he gunned him down, and, uh, you know, if, if it wasn't a 3-1 ball game, there might have been a lot more joy and jubilation going to the Bulldog dugout. But it was one of the more impressive throwouts we've seen this year from Dustin Skelton, who is a, a rising defensive star on this team. But um, you just kind of felt like, okay, you've got the game kind of held in place now at 3-1. Let's go get some runs. And then, lo and behold, Dustin Skelton, the hero of the moment, Opens up the inning with a smash double to left. When it left the bat, I thought it had a chance. And then it got out there, and the wind had kind of died down a little bit. We were dealing with kind of a sustained uh, push out to right most of the game. And then right around the sixth, seventh inning, when the temperatures kind of dropped a little bit. The uh, the winds died down some. And, and I think if he hits that ball early in the ball game, it is out. But he doubles to right center and then takes third on a wild pitch. And then Josh Hatcher hits a ground ball uh, to the left side, gets the run home, and now it's 3-2. And it just simply felt like, okay, this is our chance. Because at this point, we know uh, we've gotten through 7-8, and eight, and uh, there's less than two outs, so we know the top of the order is going to come up. We're going to have an opportunity to, to possibly get Mangum on and get around. And uh, with Jake on base, anything can happen. Jake's a run scorer, as John Cohen says. We pinch hit for Gunnar Halter, Compass uh, grounds out to third, had a really, really bad swing on that very first pitch that they really got inside on him. And then um, next thing you know, Mangum's hit by the pitch. He takes off. Westberg walks. And it just felt like, okay, two men on. Our moment is here. Base hit here, ties the game, extends the inning. And Tanner Allen pulls one down the line at first. And it was foul. But, man, if that ball's a foot the other way, there's a good chance both of those guys score. Westberg, fastest kid on the team. 
that ball will rattle around in right field. I'm sure we'd send him there. But that's sometimes it's the difference between winning and losing in baseball is a foot, which was the case last night. When in some of those pitches that Tony Walsh called on Roddy Jordan, there was a foot there too, a foot outside. But we really kind of blew it there in the eighth. And then we come back and, uh, you know, self's back in the ball game. And, and again, doing a decent job there, you know, pitching pretty well. And uh, just left the ball up and uh, really got into a bad spot there. And the next thing you know, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. We're really having to play from behind now because it's 5-2. And now when I go back and I think about that whole sequence, and, you know, Egan was in the bullpen, uh, lefty on lefty, had some lefties there. One could have made the argument that, you know, that's that's probably the better way to go just to kind of keep the game at 3-2. Because if you keep that game at 3-2, if you manage it probably a little bit better, you know, kind of who knows. But you open the inning with a walk. You get the foul out. You get the fly out. you got a runner on with two outs. you got a 1-1 count, and we leave a cut fastball up, and uh, Fletcher hits it out. At that point, it seemed pretty academic. We finally get out of the deal uh, with a strikeout swinging after giving up a couple of hits there. And uh, get out there to the ninth, and the very first pitch that uh, Magnum we saw from, from Cronin, he absolutely smoked. I mean, it was um, – People, there was there was no there was there was a lot of cheering when that inning opened up. There was none when after that swing. You could hear the Mississippi State dugout respond, but that was about as well as if you've seen Elijah Magnum he hit a baseball. Uh, first pitch, it's five three, and then you're thinking, okay, if we can get somebody on and get the tie and run up here, you just simply never know because you know that you know that Roddy Jordan can run into one, you know that Dustin Skelton can run into one, and both of those guys have already hit uh, long fly balls for. Uh, you know, for damage early in, earlier in the ball game, but uh, couldn't do it. Foscue out swinging, uh, Rowdy Jordan out swinging, and then Skelton pops up to shore. And one of the things about Cronin that I thought was rather interesting, he absolutely cannot throw that breaking ball for a strike. I think he might have thrown it for a called strike one time, but every time that he got into predictable counts, that breaking ball always stayed up. I mean, and I don't mean up to the point where you could put a good swing on it, up and out of the zone. And I don't know why anybody would ever look breaking ball with him. Now, I might go up there on a, on a you know one-two count, and he might drop one in on me and uh, strike me out looking. But I'm going to take my chances of that 99 times out of 100. He cannot throw the breaking ball. And so that's one of the things when I think about some of these at-bats that happen later in the ballgame, uh, that if you see that this guy, all he can do, and he's got a good fastball, but if that's all he has – why in the world would you ever look anything but dead red, especially at an advantage count? And uh, that's one of the things, I guess, and again, not to be critical, because uh, I want to make sure everybody understands. I love Mississippi State. I love Mississippi State baseball. I love our coaches. I think we've got a great team. But there are times that I don't know that we make the adjustment, the in-game adjustment at the plate. When we've got a guy that's throwing soft, when we've got a guy that's throwing hard, we've got a guy that's throwing in and out, we've got a guy that can't throw a breaking ball for a strike. And that's one of the things that I have learned about life is that I'm going to sit dead red fastball until you prove to me you can get me out with that breaking pitch. And most of those relievers that come in, and listen, we've seen it ourselves. I mean, you know, that's one of the things that made Jonathan Holder so filthy for us is he had that dominant fastball, but he could also change speeds on you and drop Uncle Charlie on you. And we love to see it when it came because more times people made these little foolish swings. But when you have a guy 
that can throw both pitches, it kind of opens up the keys to the kingdom. When you don't have that complimentary pitch, when people can just sit there and gear up for the fastball, you got to be able to hurt that guy. And uh, I really felt like once we got Campbell out of the ball game and they brought Cronin in, that we had a real opportunity. And he did his best to help us. You know, he hits Mangum and walks Westberg. And then um, I don't know how we were so tardy on that fastball. I just I don't I don't get it. But uh, it never comes down to one pitch. It never comes down to one at bat. We like to think that it does. Uh, there's plenty you can do better. Mississippi State will be back out there again today, and we'll look to try to even the series. I want to remind you guys when you're in town, Bulldog Burger Company is absolutely the place to go. That is the place to break bread with the cool kids in Starkville. So many great options to choose from. And I encourage you to make sure you're following Bulldog Burger Company on social media. Follow them on Instagram. Follow them on Twitter. They will have their daily specials. And if you are a Bulldog Burger Company veteran, you will understand this that uh, they will have daily specials just to kind of change it up a little bit. And so if you've had everything on the menu and uh, you kind of want to stay ahead of the game, stay a little cooler than other cool kids, you can go by and check that out. So, again, it's Bulldog Burger Company, uh, the restaurant closest to campus in the Cotton District. Bulldog Burger Company, a part of a restaurant family that is committed to your family and to the Mississippi State family. So be sure to go by and support them. Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Starkville where people go to meet. So... Mississippi State will send Peyton Plumley out tonight. It's a 6.30 start. They're going to throw Wicklander. And uh, one of the guys told me he has been phenomenal as a starter and has struggled as a reliever. I think his uh, ERA out of the pen is like in the 11s. But as a starter, it's under two. And so he's a guy they expect to be a Friday night guy in time for them. Uh, and this is a veteran team playing at home. They're not going to lay down for us. I, I, I can promise you that. And there were times in that ballgame yesterday that uh, there was a lot of frustration on the Arkansas side. I mean, Alan just mentioned the press box. I mean, I'm just saying in general, you sit here and you, you see people that they kind of felt like Ethan Small had their number, that he was unhittable, and that they were going to lose the ballgame. And then the next thing you know, you put a couple of hits together, Smalls out of the ball game, and uh, you have a lead, and that's kind of how things are on Thursday and Friday nights in this league. And so now, you know, Peyton Plumley has been uh, been really good his last three outings. I think the only hit he gives up against LSU was the uh, solo home run to uh, Antoine DePlantis, and he has a, a good outing against Tennessee. Uh, he got a win last weekend against Alabama. And so we expect him to come out and kind of be what he's been the last few weeks. Uh, I'm excited about what is to come uh, this weekend. I still don't think it's over. And listen, our backs are against the wall. This is the first Friday night game or first game one uh, that we have lost uh, this this year. So it'll be interesting to see how we respond. Uh, I thought Coach Dave Horns, Dave Ben Horns did it best last night. You know, he didn't think they're going to hold us three runs today. So they're going to have to come out and try to score some runs. And, uh, again, this is a veteran lineup. You've got some guys that have been around. A lot of these guys you know, obviously played. Uh, for a national championship last year. So there's a lot of pride in this program. They're not going to just show up and think, okay, it's not our day. Uh, they're going to continue to grind. This is a great baseball facility. I know one of the things I saw, everything now, it seems like, now that we have the new Duty Noble, everything pales by comparison, and that's true. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, this is my first time covering a ball game at Bomb last night, and uh, I really like the place. And I'm, frankly, I like it better than Alex Box. I've said many times that I think Alex Box uh, was better until Dirty Noble came along. Uh, but, you know, Alex Box has those, uh, those bleachers. And uh, what they have here at Bomb is they have chairbacks all the way down both sides. They have kind of a, uh, 
a makeshift left field lounge out there. I think they call it the hog pen. I think it's what they're calling it. Um, and it's cute. It's nowhere what we have. It's not even close. But this is a great baseball facility. This is a very proud fan base. I think there was like 4,700 people there last night. The, the paid attendance was over 8,000, which is kind of like a midweek crowd at Mississippi State. But uh, be that as it may, uh, these people love baseball. And uh, they have a real respect for Mississippi State. They were talking at length last about last year's sweep and how they went into that series, you know, expecting uh, to do well, and they got swept. And so that's something that they remembered this year as they kind of got into uh, into this week. Dave Van Horn reminded them of how they showed up maybe a little bit uh, underprepared to play last year and got swept uh, at Duty Noble Field, and uh, that really kind of sparked a run for us. They believe Mississippi State is loaded. It's one of those things that's interesting to get other people's perspective about your team. They said, man, this Mississippi State team reminds me of Arkansas last year. Now, last year, Arkansas played for a national championship. And so uh, that's an interesting commentary. But the bottom line is now is that this is not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of what happens in wins and losses. So Mississippi State has got to find a way to go win a ball game today. JT Gantz set to go. Uh, on Saturday, which will be the game three uh, deal for us. But uh, JT is fine. Saw JT pregame, postgame. He's competitive. He's ready to go. People continue to ask. And I think a lot of it is just concern for our program and just concern about the fact that, um, you know, Mississippi State uh, needs another dominant starter. And so people are, are concerned. But uh, he is fine. He's ready to go. Uh, looking around the Southeastern Conference after uh, last night's action, State now 10-6, and six, one game out of first place. Georgia back in first by themselves with an 11-5 record. Uh, A&M 10-5-1, not really worried about either one of us. We'll have an opportunity to play them. Vanderbilt still there at 9-6, but uh, Arkansas and Mississippi State currently tied for second in the West, a half game behind Texas A&M. So we'll kind of run down some things here and kind of prepare you for what to expect. Uh, last night was a, a very busy night. Alabama and Vanderbilt did not play. That They are your Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Everybody else will be off for Easter. So looking back at last night's action, uh, Tennessee wins at Kentucky 4-2. Uh, They'll get back at it today. Kentucky had to lead in that ball game. That's one of the things we've seen this week. You know, Kentucky jumps out to lead against Louisville and then gets absolutely shelled. Uh, Tennessee wins that ball game. Tennessee now 28 and 11, ranked 22nd. And again, that that series is going to look even better in hindsight. Those those, those guys have some solid front line pitching with Crochet and Stallings. Uh, Auburn comes back to beat Ole Miss last night, seven to four, in game one of their series. Uh, Ole Miss, if they lose this series, good chance they uh, they continue to drop. And uh, again, not a big fan of of, uh, of this Ole Miss team. I think they've been overrated from the get-go. And I think Auburn's got front-line pitching. They, they have an opportunity to win this series. Would not be the least bit surprised to see Auburn sweep Ole Miss. The least bit surprised. Uh, Georgia wins last night 3-0. And uh, that's one of the things watching Georgia. that we, we talk about them having arms. That's going to be a series when Mississippi State plays them. There's not going to be a lot of runs scored in those games. That's going to be a, that's going to be a lot like that Tennessee series. It's going to be a lot like last night. It's going to be the, those guys can pitch the baseball. Uh, so when they come in next weekend, I understand those are going to be some quick games. Uh, you might not be able to get that second help on a baked beans because uh, the, those games are probably going to be under three hours apiece. 
I mentioned Vanderbilt, Alabama getting underway today. Uh, A&M knocks off South Carolina at South Carolina 8-2 last night. Uh, Carolina really, really beginning to fade. Uh, A&M, a, you know, a, a good team. We'll see them uh, sooner rather than later. It'll be the first uh, series in May for us on the road at College Station. And then Florida jumps all over LSU last night. Uh, it was 10 uh, nothing before anybody even realized what happened. This LSU team, a lot of pieces there. They're kind of banged up now. But, uh, you know, they're one of those teams, again, I look back and I think to myself, how did we let that series slip away? Especially after we won that first game, we had an opportunity to win that series. And that's something that sticks with me. will probably stick with all of us for a while. But Florida absolutely attacked them very aggressively in that ball game. And, uh, you know, Florida's a team that's very, very young, but also very talented. And so if you see them make a run here in these final few weeks, don't be the least bit surprised because they've got the ability to do some big things. I don't think there's any question uh, that they're going to come out, be aggressive. Those younger guys now have seen some SEC pitching. They have seen film against themselves. So as a result, they're going to make some adjustments. Um, not to mention Kevin O'Sullivan, one of the best pitching coaches in the country. Uh, they'll figure it out. I'm just glad we got that series win earlier in the year, and I think in hindsight that one's going to look better too. Even though Florida is not a national contender like many people expected them to be, uh, they're still a very quality team. And so a uh, busy weekend, and uh, this is going to be kind of like a, a separation weekend in many respects. We've got to find a way at Mississippi State to go win this series against Arkansas. And my, my honest opinion is I'm sure you guys feel the same way. If we can just get to Saturday, if we can win this ball game tonight, because I think this one will, this is the big one, okay, especially when you lose that first one. This is a big one just because of the fact I feel like with a healthy JT again going on Saturday, we're going to win that ball game. That That's my honest opinion. I think if we win tonight, we're going to win the series. So if Arkansas has any hopes of winning, I think they'll put all their efforts and all their eggs in the basket tonight, pardon the Easter pun, uh, to try to win that ball game. So we've got to be prepared Got to come out ready to go. Got to be aggressive at the play, but not overly uh, aggressive. We're going to see, again, we're going to see SEC quality stuff, and we're going to need to hit the baseball. And then there were times last night that uh, we just couldn't bunch things together and miss some opportunities, and that's the game. You know, when you get guys on base, you got to be able to push them around and get them in. And uh, lo and behold, that's what happens. You know, a couple of big hits. You know, State gets a couple of hits, but there was not a lot to support it. Rowdy gets a solo home run. Skelton gets a leadoff double, and that's kind of the end of the deal, right? Magnum, comes out, hits a leadoff home run in the ninth, and so it's like you had three big hits there, but they were all rather isolated. In Arkansas' situation, when he got in the bottom of the sixth, hitting became contagious. Once they finally were able to have some success against Small, everybody else went up there with some confidence and swung the bat a lot harder, and then as a result, uh, we lose the ball game. And it's not only that Small, it's just one of those things that uh, you know Mississippi State – uh, just could not match the intensity on either side of the game, offensively or defensively, to win that pitcher's duel. And so you tip your cap to Arkansas and you come out and you're ready to go today. Uh, they're concerned about their pitching. Uh, I think tonight's game will be a little more high scoring than what we saw. But uh, Mississippi State needs a big start, needs to find a way to keep that crowd out of it because this is one of those environments. It's always tough to win on the road. But this is an intelligent fan base that really loves baseball. And uh, they understand their role in the contest. When they get rolling, when the crowd gets rolling with them, uh, it, it's a difficult place. 
it is a very difficult place. And you could kind of see last night there were times, uh, especially in that, that sixth inning when they begin to have some success, you just felt like the world was about to you know just open up and swallow Mississippi State whole. It was just one of those very emotional uh, undertakings. And so uh, that's um, that's what we'll have to encounter again tonight. Chris Lamontis last night, still very even killed, and, and, and some of the criticisms kind of killed me. You know, Mississippi State, 32-7 and seven now. Is that correct? 32-7? and seven. Let me double-check that. I think that's correct. I think I've seen them all. But, uh, yeah, 32-7 and seven and 10-6 and six in the league. And uh, I don't think anybody expected us to come up here and sweep this thing anyway. So we're pretty much where we expect to be. But I thought Lamontis was uh, – was good in post game, and you can watch that post game interview uh, with he and both Roddy Jordan up on jeanspage.com for free. And we'll make that available to you. Um, we'll do the same thing tonight, and uh, we'll have be back on Monday with the Boneyard, kind of recapping the weekend that was. It'll be a little bit of a shorter show today, not as much going on, but also to uh, be on the road here. It's kind of difficult to kind of get things together and throw this thing, but I did not want you guys to not have a show today. And I know we want to talk about. You know, Mississippi State baseball, we want to talk about what happens as things develop. Uh, one of the things that I will share with you is that um, being able to be here and cover this, you know, pursuit of history with Jake Mangum in this special season, and I still believe this is going to be a very special season for Mississippi State. I, I believe that uh, with all my heart. I think it's going to be, a, I think we've got a really good chance to get to Omaha. I really do. But uh, that Tuesday night game in Pearl, you know, that, that, that's a huge ball game, not just because of who we're playing. But it's really an opportunity for Mississippi State to kind of step up and make a statement. There are a lot of you Bulldog fans in the central Mississippi area. It is difficult to get to a midweek game in Starkville. So they're bringing, they're coming on the road to you. There are many of you guys in south Mississippi. It's, it's difficult to get to Starkville at any time. So we're going to encourage everybody to pack the place out. Need a huge Mississippi State contingent. State don't miss both playing pretty well, even though Ole Miss – uh, you know, had a tough night last night and had a tough weekend last weekend. Uh, it's going to be a great ball game. It's going to be one of those ball games that, uh, that, that are going to be important to both fan bases. Since we encourage you to come out. It's the uh, last governor's game for Jake Mangum and these seniors. They've never lost a, that game to Ole Miss. And uh, it will be a good preview of a uh, important series that will take place here in a couple weeks in Oxford. And so need your support. Need you to put on that maroon and white shirt. And come on out, support the Bulldogs, be there to cheer. Uh, should be an interesting night. Also, back in Jake Mangum's hometown, could see some history made there. Uh, kind of a, hopefully a victory lap for him in his hometown. So please come out, be a part of that. And again, remind you to please, uh, if you haven't done so, go to StarkVillains.com and order your Stark Villain shirt. There have been so many people that I have come to me and say, hey, Steve, love the shirt. And the next thing I know, I see them and they're wearing the shirt. I had a guy recently uh, at GameStop, went by to uh, get some games for my kid, that I was wearing a Starkville one shirt. He ordered his right there in front of me on his phone. Uh, great quality, great merchandising, great color. Go check it out, StarkVillains.com. Uh, heading down the home stretch, and I am hope to here in the next week to 10 days or so, I hope to have a cover of the new book to share with you guys. You know, that would that caused a lot of stir when we put the Flim Flam cover out there. This one, uh, I don't know that it'll be quite as, as, as peculiar, but it will be awfully interesting. Uh, and so look forward to sharing that with you. They've got some mock-ups they're working on. I'll have some things very, very soon, and, and I'll share that with you. 
and uh, we're getting down to the nitty gritty now. You know, down down to the part of the writing process that's not quite as much fun because when you're when you're interviewing people and reliving these memories and you're writing things and you're creating, you get emotionally attached to all the work, and then you get into the editing process and you have to start culling some things out or rewriting some things, and that part's not nearly as much fun, but it is a necessary part of the process, and so. Uh, that's kind of where we are now. I've got a couple things left to write and submit, and then we'll have a bunch of edits and some rewrites to do and and uh, that sort of stuff. But um, we're getting down to it. And uh, this book took a little longer to write than I in initially anticipated. And a lot of this is because I wanted to take my time and do it right. There were some stories that I really wanted to get. And uh, I'm eager for you guys to read these things. And because while it is my book and my name is on the cover, these are our stories. And they're moments in time that if you don't know, you need to know. And I think it is only going to instill a greater pride with you in relation to Mississippi State. And uh, I can't wait to go out on, on the book tour, you know, and uh, have people say, hey, Steve, I read that story about those crazy kids uh, that uh, stole the golden egg. And uh, Steve, I love that story about those students that did this. And I loved hearing about Derek Pegues recount that great punt return in 2007, as well as his college recruitment out of South Panola. So those stories are going to be available to you, many of them for the first time ever. Many of these stories, and some of the stories you know, you're going to get some nuances and behind-the-scenes stuff that you didn't know. Uh, finished up the Morgan Wiggum chapter and uh, heard her talk about you know, Vic's message to them after that uh, flagrant foul was assessed against Dominic Dillingham, you know, a possession after it all happened uh, to give UConn an opportunity to tie the basketball game. And uh, hear, hear her talk about, you know, kind of the, the mindset of the team going into that final possession and then the shot that changed everything. And so that's all in the book. And uh, excited for you guys to have that in your hands. Excited to get this process finished, not because I'm not having fun writing it, but just, I'm just so ready for the world to be able to enjoy these stories as I have enjoyed capturing these stories and then writing them for posterity's sake. And so uh, I've got so many people that have said, hey, well, what about this guy? What about interviewing this person? And, and you know what? If we get enough of those in a couple of years, we'll do a sequel. You know, but it doesn't matter to me. We'll just keep grinding them out because I think it's time we told our story. And I get a little tired sometimes of reading the story of the rivalry only through the lens of the old Miss side of things. And so this is a book about the rivalry, but it's not a book that is a, it's not a hit piece about Ole Miss. It's just great moments in the rivalry kind of recounted by the people that lived through them and produced them. And uh, very fond memories for many people. And uh, you're going to be surprised some of the things that uh, some of these people say about Ole Miss, uh, Anthony Dixon and many others. You'll be surprised. You, you really will be. And uh, some positive, some negative. I mean, there's going to be some things you read and you're going to laugh and other things you're going to read and think, wow, that's, that's interesting. And, uh, again, ready for you guys to have it. That's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for your patronage and support of the Boneyard all these many years. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.